Hello and welcome to episode 11 of Bossing It, the weekly podcast for women in business brought to you by entrepreneurs Frankie Cotton and Lara Sheldrake. Today we are joined by the lovely Lucy Werner of Wern PR. I met Lucy a few months ago at a mother's meeting event and I absolutely loved her energy and passion for supporting women in business. So Frankie and I were thrilled when she agreed to come on our podcast today and share her story. In this episode, Lucy shares with us her PR tips for startups, the challenges of scaling a small business while juggling motherhood, and her top PR no-nos. We hope you enjoy. Today we are joined by Lucy Werner, who is a PR expert and founder of Wern PR. Yeah, great. Really excited to have you on. Thank you. Um, so I guess first up, we would love for you to share a little bit about yourself and your business. I started the Wern four years ago. Before that, I'd done about 10 years in PR agency land and was a bit sort of disillusioned by the corporate world was doing kind of PR for a very rogue um, alcoholic wine at the time that was 5.5% and um, some e-cigarettes and some other soul-destroying things. Um, And at the time, I started to work with a few sort of entrepreneurial projects and realised that actually I really enjoy working with entrepreneurs and the passion and enthusiasm that they have. So decided to kind of start off on my own and see if I could make a business out of doing PR for small business and businesses that I was interested in rather than what was just bringing the money in. And how how did that go? How did you sort of structure that initially and kind of make that transition from, as you say, agency land to being self-employed? So there was a gradual process where I wasn't actually aware that that's what I was doing, um, where I was offered a communications role with Dominic Causality, who set up Street Feast. And he was running a project to do with sort of food and events. And I was like, this is perfect for me. And I got there and then I started being approached by other independent business owners that I knew in Hackney. So I think the small business community can be quite small. So as people started to realise I was taking on projects, I started being sent more and more work. And all of a sudden I thought, ah, I don't necessarily just need to consult for other PR agencies. I can actually set up on my own so when I first started I don't think I necessarily had the grand plan of my own agency I thought I'd just split my time between a bit of here and there and maybe still freelance for PR agencies to get the money in but then there was definitely a moment where I thought okay I can do this and I gave myself three months from the January I thought you've got three months of savings in the bank you've got three months to go and bring in your own clients and if you haven't done it by the end of March you have to go back to consulting for other people again and the first January I made £500 and was like, uh-oh, this might not be viable <laughs> to pay the mortgage. Um, but by the end of March, the turnover for that month was four grand, and I was getting an assistant. Amazing. And so how did you take the business from there? Because obviously I guess you probably were at a point where you had a lot of work coming in and there was just you, right? Yeah, so um, I, I, had a, I had an assistant at first, PR assistant. He was helping me out. And then I, three kind of contacts I had, somebody kind of introduced me to an innovation agency. So I was sat in their office, kind of doing consulting work for them in exchange for my desk space. And it started to sort of grow organically about a year and a half after that. I then moved into my own shared workspace and had a team 
of about five full time and was still kind of mainly using a lot of freelancers and bringing specialist support in because I'm very much a huge advocate of one size fits no one. So it's not mm-hmm. just it's not just your team who are there full time, it's different personalities but different skill sets. So mm. one of the girls I worked with is a food and drinks expert. One of the guys I worked with is really B2B copywriting technology things I don't understand expert (laughs) (laughs) and you just need those people so I had a kind of rotating roster as well of different peeps that I'd work with that's amazing and having that first full-time hire must be quite a sort of terrifying prospect right so it's all right when it's just you or you and a co-founder and you're sort of trying to make money and you're sort of hustling away but when you're responsible then suddenly for somebody full-time and as you say you took on five I bet that was yeah eventually yeah how did that feel and what was that process like for you as a uh, it's funny actually because when I was reading the pre-questions I think hiring staff is probably one of the biggest challenges slash learning slash everybody every business owner talks about how great staff makes a great business I don't think that that point's necessarily interesting but I think how you hire them and the things that you need to do in order to hire them like take some HR advice make sure your employee contracts are in good place um a lot of businesses ignore the other thing that was sort of key for me is that when I started out I got what I paid for so I was going after junior staff because I felt like I couldn't afford the investment of a senior member of staff but actually in lieu of a co-founder I really did need senior support so the first sort of PR assistant I had was kind of on a freelance temporary basis it wasn't as much of a commitment then I took an apprentice And I very much believe in paying at least the London living wage, even though you don't have to. But for me, if you're going to have equal opportunities in the workplace, you need to be paying a Mm. decent salary. And even the other day, I was chatting to another friend of mine. He's an agency owner. And he was saying, oh, as long as I make good money and I pay the team fair money, that's fine. And afterwards, it just really rubbed me because I feel like you should be... Obviously, as the business owner, you want to be taking a bit more money than your team but I still think paying fairly is a bit of an odd concept um getting the people full-time putting them on PAYE was a very a difficult decision with my accountant as well he was giving me all the warnings of what I was doing and what it means and I then basically had I think two contracts out two offers out for people who were going to be starting work in the January and then I found out I was pregnant Oh my god. <laughs> Which wasn't part so, of my three year growth plan for the business. <laughs> so how long did you have then between finding out and then So they all started in the January and I basically within two weeks of having two new full time employees had to sit down with them and oh tell them gosh. that I was pregnant and the boss and owner of the company was off. And I very much had intentions that I would be back at work after three months full time mm. and take shared parental leave and then that didn't happen um and then at six months I didn't want to come back full time either um I was only part time and in that time the business naturally reduced in mm. size and so the team and the team sort of naturally reduced as well um so I then only had two sort of full-time employees and two freelancers but by the time I kind of got back to work I realized that actually I needed to pivot the business model to have a more lean operation so that it was just myself, which I'm not going to like, that was horrific. And it was sort of horrific knowing that my team were all waiting for me to come back full time. Mm. 
and then saying you know what we're not we're not turning over enough money um so it's definitely probably one of my biggest advice to women of baby making age to consider getting a co-founder um or at least making your business sustainable if you're not there yeah and I had inadvertently created a business that was very reliant on me being there full-time and equally if you have staff I think you owe it to them to be present full-time and I wasn't in that space to be able to do it yeah it's tough though isn't it when you've had a baby and as you say you know you you kind of went in with this idea of well do you know what I'll come back after three months and it the reality is for a lot of women who're just not ready you, you've still got baby on the brain and there's no way you're in a, a commercially minded kind of you know you, you can't approach work in that way so I think think a lot of women probably find themselves in a similar situation. 100%. And I think it's different for all women. I think Mm. all the advice I was given beforehand, my biggest piece of advice I give to any pregnant woman is don't take any advice from anybody. (laughs) Because you're all different and (laughs) all babies are different. So you don't know how you're going to feel on the Mm. other side. And I had no idea how I was going to feel on the other side. In some ways, I'm a bit sort of an oxymoron because I say I didn't want to go back full time, but I was back in the office after two weeks doing invoicing and loved it. And I feel like part of what kept me sane and sort of busy and keeping my mind busy was still having the team and having sort of touch points. So I wasn't just thinking about baby all the time. So I was still sort of doing two days a week remotely, which was great. But the whole commitment of full time, I wasn't, I was unprepared for not being able to do that. And how, how did you handle that conversation and how did the team respond? Feel free to share as much or as little as you want. Yeah. It's, it's one of those things I think that we don't give enough probably airtime to is actually, we always talk a lot about business growth, but it's never as straightforward and it's not, you know, a, a it's not a straight trajectory and there are things that happen and there are growth spurts and there are times when you sort of retract or you change tactic as you say you pivoted the business so I think it's really important to talk about those moments Mm. because often people could give up or be disheartened and they shouldn't because it happens right yeah I mean we can probably I know we'll get on to like what I'm doing now which probably is the kind of the overcoming adversity sort of (laughs) angle of it but at the time it was my birthday is January the 6th and I remember on my birthday crying to my best friend on the phone looking at the three month projections of what was coming in knowing that I had two clients who basically were saying if you're not back full time we're not gonna stay and knowing what I had to pay the team versus what was due to come in and it was shit it was really shit and I felt like I'd failed and I remember emailing a couple of agent PR agency owners I know to say, this is what I'm doing. And I was sat in a cafe on Lower Clapton Road, bawling my eyes out to the owner of fan club PR, being like, I failed, I couldn't do it. And he was just sort of being like, it's fine. You know, it's not, it's not a fail. It's everything's okay. Um, and it's sort of weird because also I had this whole thing I'd, stepped out into the world because I do PR for a living I also PR myself for a living so I'd really put myself out there of like this is me my website had a team page on it I you know really sort of vocalized a lot in press articles different issues to do with running a team so to suddenly go from everybody to just me as much as it was personally a successful decision I felt it was a professional failure um and particularly because I'd made it I I it wasn't the business wasn't making money so Mm. it felt it 
for that reason alone. It was like, objectively, it's not making money, that's fail. But I guess as you say, the company wasn't making money because essentially you weren't there and the business model had been built around you being there and, and running the business. Mm. So I think it's it's interesting the way, I mean, I'm sure it's quite natural for a lot of people to look at a situation like that and think that they failed. But really, it's it's the fact that you had stepped out of that situation and you weren't able to run the business as, as you were before. And I think there are so many women who probably find themselves in very similar situations when they get pregnant and, you know, they have these kind of business plans and, and thoughts for how they're going to run a business and make it a success and then suddenly you know reality hits and you're expecting a baby or you have a baby and then it's like you know you're at this kind of crossroads aren't you where you have to make a decision and it's not necessarily that you failed you made a decision that actually you wanted to be a present mum and you wanted to stay at home and do the best you could mm. and you didn't want to split yourself into two and say well I'll, I'll, I'll dabble with the business and I'll dabble with motherhood and I think so many women do that and it is a really difficult decision to make. It was the best decision because yeah. actually then Like I kind of went into flight fight survival mode Mm. and was just taking on projects and decided that the pressure of retained work was too difficult because I didn't want to, if, if Raphael, my son was really poorly from nursery or, you know, my partner's French. So we quite often like to spend time in France. I was like, I don't know really what I want to be doing with the business now. So I'm just going to take on project work that lasts sort of two, three months at a time and then um, I'll sort of figure out what I'm going to do. And then we went to buy a house. So everything was sort of orchestrated around me getting a lot of project work in to be able to support that decision. And then I kept saying, oh, at the end of next month, I'll take a break for two weeks. And then that happened in my mind until December. Wow. How, how old was Raphael at this point? So he was a year and a, year and a half in December. Mm. And I shut the whole thing down for three weeks. And that was the best thing that I've done because I'd had a really successful year of taking really well-paying projects and doing a lot of consultancy work in a way that I hadn't expected. But things like I had an innovation consultancy come to me and asked me just to come in and consult. Um, I was working with a startup division of an advertising agency. And even though they have a PR team in-house, they were like, we like the way you work and you have this entrepreneurial way of thinking. Can you do a few launch projects for us. So I was suddenly earning a lot higher fees and mixing that kind of balance of having a few passion projects with people that might not necessarily have the fees that I would need to kind of justify a nursery care versus a few really high high fee paying ones. Um, It's also sort of worth noting I am a bit of a snob about (laughs) clients, which doesn't necessarily help (laughs) the financial turnover. But I have a rule of three, which is number one, do I like you? Number two, do I think I can do a good job? Um, And number three, like, do I genuinely believe in it? Because I think so much of PR is sales. And if I, if you're being really aggressive towards me all the time and then I have to pick up the phone and tell somebody they're great <laughs> it's just, yeah it's, it it's not authentic yeah. it's yeah. not authentic yeah. and um it was really interesting so I sat with my partner ahead of seeing you girls talking about all the different things that we've learned and we met in an office and one of the people there said to me that working with assholes is just what happens when you earn decent money and I was like I just don't believe that to be true and also on that note I don't think for me what's changed is business success isn't a high turnover business success has really like changed in my mind what that is since probably having a child 
but also like having a child made me pivot what I do so actually I have earned more money pro rata in the last mm, year doing what you love doing what I love mm-hmm. than when I had a team and I was working 40 60 sometimes more hours a week being stressed out whereas now I've, for a large majority of last year I was only doing two days a week and got so much work done which was better quality that I was enjoying more listening to your story is really interesting because I think we can put so much pressure on ourselves to create businesses that operate or look a certain way and you know taking on staff and and this sort of you know how can we grow how can we get more clients how can we then obviously service those clients and often it's actually about how does it facilitate the lifestyle that you want too or you know family life or other considerations and just life you know it's there's children but there's other things that happen to all of us you know that are just life things that you can't avoid and we're sold I think this or marketed this story of startup life or businesses which is just 24 7 hustle and that is the only way that you ever make it a success but actually hearing the sort of creative way that you approached it and taking a bit of pressure off Mm. and actually the magic that then came and the people that you found is just such a reassuring I think narrative that's that's real you know this is a real experience of business I think um my one of my business pivots has been the word lifestyle business which when I started out probably a lot of there was a lot of people that were helping me out when I started out but a few of the kind of more white CEO type (laughs) middle class men would be like would you want to grow it to sell or are you going to just have a lifestyle business? So I was always like, oh, Ooh, no, no, I'm, yeah. I'm not going to have a, life, a lifestyle business. And it yeah, was almost no. kind of like, ew, that's gross. And now I'm mm. like, yeah, I've got a lifestyle business. Why the hell wouldn't I? And why don't you want to have a lifestyle business? You're working five days a week in London. You only see your children every weekend. You literally cannot be having like a really happy work-life balance. Yeah. And also in my mind... Why wouldn't I want to have more of a life with my child and partner and family now mm. when I'm probably going to be working into my 70s? My mortgage is till I'm 71. Like, I've got now 30 <laughs> years at least of working. So I'm like, why am I killing myself to do as much of it as I can now? Such an important thing yeah. to consider because we it will, is. I mean, if we all live, I was reading this book called The 100 Year Life, which talks about exactly that, is that if we're going to live so long now, we have to have different phases of our lives. And yeah, we can't just burn out and kill ourselves. (laughs) And entrepreneurship, I think, in some ways can be an addiction. Like you look at all the really successful entrepreneurs, they sell a business, they don't then retire. They get another one. They get another one. (laughs) Exactly. They can't stop. So I'm just like, you know, I, for me now, I'm like, what, why was I fighting against this perception of what a lifestyle business is? And I think part of that as well you know, when I used to work for PR agencies, all my bosses were men. So subsequently, a lot of the people I spoke to when I set up the agency were men. And they would talk about stuff being like numbers or how like if you turn over a million, then you, you peak the interest of being bought out. And I was seriously thinking like, oh, I wonder how I brainwashed, can... don't you? Yeah, I was like, yeah. I've got to get a turnover of one million. Like, that's what I need to do. And now mm. I just think, I just want to pay my mortgage, get a new bathroom, and be able to get a few nice clothes. <laughs> and also the pension thing. I need to stop putting some money away for till when I live to a hundred. But like, I'm like, I don't need, I don't need to be earning millions to be happy. And I'm mm. not convinced, having been around successful entrepreneurs that do make millions, that it does make you happy. Mm. Yeah, I guess it's, it's individual. And as you say, 
you know, depending on uh, the stage of your life, your priorities change and becoming a mum is, is a big pivotal moment in your life where your priorities do change and the things that are important to you change. And I guess, as you say, you know, for you, success looked different once you had a child. Mm. And that's, I guess, the beauty of being able to write your own story when you're an entrepreneur and you run your own business because you can decide how that looks and what you need to do to be happy. And for you, with becoming a mum, it was about actually having that life, work-life balance. Mm. How do you feel becoming a mum has changed the way you work? I mean, other than the actual physical hours that I put in, um, I would say the way it's changed it is actually it's given me a lot more focus, mm. particularly because I'm pregnant again now. I don't think anything gives mm. you focus like the second trimester, not the first, because that's a write-off. But um, I had this, they had this period of time <laughs> where I was like, okay, hold on, I don't have the team now, so how am I going to make money on my maternity leave? And it was really funny because I think... In a weird way, I knew what I wanted the business to do when I started it. And it's taken four years for me to now be putting into process the steps that I wanted to do four years ago. And I, this whole creating a team and getting an office and all of that, never, I'm not, I don't love working in an office. I actually really like working from home on my own. I don't really thrive in the leadership skills column of skill set. Like I really love servicing clients and doing the client work, which is also another reason why I left the agency world because I wasn't getting to do the day-to-day anymore. So I think, weirdly, despite the fact that having a child takes your focus away from from so many things, mm-hmm. it's also given me a lot of focus on what I wanted to do. So, for example, I wanted to do like coaching and teaching for a really long time and... When I started out, I'd meet so many people who would have £100 to spend on PR, which obviously isn't sustainable as a business model. And I kept thinking about, how can I monetize this? And I remember being sat on a beach in Burma four years ago with my friends being like, I come up with this great idea. I'm going to set up an online school and I'm going to do courses and I'm going to teach. And then I, my team just got bigger and bigger and bigger and it just never happened and then you get that whole comparison thing on Instagram where you see all the other PR girls out there who are doing similar agencies to me who are all setting up teaching and online courses. And I'm starting to panic that I'm not doing it, but I can't do it at the same time. So it was so nice to sort of finally have a game plan of how I can do that. And then even as much as like two weeks ago, I saw a journalist launch a PR course overnight and I started to get like proper green eyed monster. She just set it up on Eventbrite. She made like, 10 sales of the 200 pound for a four-week course and I was like oh god this is crazy like why am I getting so jealous it's fine like you're gonna do it and you'll do it when it's right and the next week on Instagram somebody asked me for a coffee to ask me how to do PR and I was like yeah I do I can do that but I actually charge for it it's a service I'm setting it up this is how much it costs this is I'll do a 15 minute free trial before I sold three of them in a week not even from promoting it And I just thought, okay, I can actually start this now. And whilst I'm doing the one-on-ones, it's feeding me what the commonalities are between what everybody needs, Mm. which is then going to help me to hopefully shape the courses, which will be my mat leave project. (laughs) So you're finding, I guess, ways that not only can you service the people who you're really passionate about, which is the entrepreneurs and the startups that, as you say, don't have the cash to invest in PR (laughs) services, but really (laughs) really need some guidance... Um, 
and then also to create a more scalable business model. And also, you've got some exciting news, <laughs> because you have a book coming out. I do. <laughs> Tell us about that. We'd love, actually, to hear about the process as yeah. well. Um, how it came about. Was it something that you went out and you had the intention of getting a book deal? Tell us the whole story. <laughs> so... I knew four years ago I wanted to do a PR book and I frantically went and bought four or five different PR books and whilst reading them realised that they all kind of talk about the fact that PRs don't read PR books and are quite insulting to PRs and they all tend to be written by journalists and the top 10 in Amazon for PR is currently all men. So that really spurred me. And the only PR book at the time that was written by a woman was Janet Murray, and she was self-published. And I was like, there were no published female professionals, even though the PRCA, which is like the auditing body of PR, says that the PR industry is, I think, 66% female. Wow. So That's I, a huge discrepancy. Mm. So I was like, right, I'm going to write that book. And then... Um, One of my childhood best friends works in publishing and at Christmas she sent me a tweet that a woman called Alison Jones sent. She's at Books to the Sky on Twitter and she has a podcast called The Extraordinary Business Book Club and it was an end of year episode which is sort of her best clips of different interviewees of her top 10 tips of how to write a business book. So I was sat sort of, you know, that weird period between Christmas and New Year. (laughs) That for me is my like learning period. So I listened to this podcast episode and right at the end, in the best way that podcasts are, she plugged a 10 day course that she was doing, which was only £100 on how to write a business book proposal. And I was like, do you know what I've done? I do spend quite a bit of money on personal development and career development. I think it's a really important thing. And £100 just seemed like... That's a bargain. I definitely want to do it. If nothing else, I've got... Basically, by the end of that course, you have a proposal document that you can send out to publishers or you've got a really decent framework for yourself to self-publish. And I knew nothing about how to write a business book. So I just felt like 100 quid was money well spent. Kind of unbeknown to me, whilst I started this course, um, she also runs a company called Practical Inspiration Publishing. And they have their own list where she commissions people to be on it. But also, you can actually pay. So one of the ways that if you wanted to write a business book is there's lots of publishers out there. There's loads of them out there when I started researching it. And for about, I think it's, I think it differs, but between sort of five to £10,000 seems to be the going rate. You can publish with a partner and they give you a book designer. They sort out all the production, the copy editing, all of that. So I was like, oh, this is quite interesting. And I started Googling um, Alison and in this sort of obsessive like who are the best people in business book publishing and she kept repeatedly coming up and she seems to be quite a big sort of innovator in that space and I was like I really want to work with her and that's when the sort of kind of law of attraction vision board craziness kicked in <laughs> yeah I always love a bit of this um so I'd already put like a book um a book cover of like which had the same sort of brand color to me on my vision board and then I jumped into the living room and said to my partner, I've won. And he was like, what are you talking about? I was like, I've won a book deal with Practical Inspiration Publishing. He was like, what are you talking about? And I was like, in my course, one person at the end of the 10-day challenge can That's... win a book deal. And I was like, I'm going to get it. And then... Um, How many people were on the course, did you know? It was about 
I think it's about 30. So I decided now I'm going to win it. I'm going to really try and win this. And um, I phoned my best friend and said to her, oh, I've just looked and she's already got a PR book on her list. And she looked at it, she went, oh, it's fine. It's completely different to yours. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. Because I really want to win this competition. And she was like, in my head, you've won it. I was like, great. I'm really glad you said that because in my head, I've won it too. <laughs> and then... Um, I literally was telling my parents about it and started telling a few friends, like, I'm going to win this competition. <laughs> Love the Like, confidence. in a way that I am never, like... I think a part of the thing of when you, like, watch The Secret, they're like, just visualise it. And I'm like, oh, this is bollocks. I'm not going to do that. But for some reason, I was like, yeah, I'm going to win it. And the day that she announced the competition, I actually sent an email to myself going, and the winner is. And put my <laughs> name in, like, caps lock in the email. And then I won it. I won wow, it. that's amazing. But I don't Angles. think it's because I put it into the universe. I think she had her own reasons. And actually, she picked two out of the group. So it was me and another guy called Rob. And she kind of... The list is a split between sort of very practical, which is kind of where I sit, and very inspirational, which is where he sat. Obviously, we've both got a dash of it's both. both. Um, but we were quite sort of different. Um so yeah so that's amazing I then followed up with her and said okay I am having a baby so I want to get the book written before then so the copy the ba- the baby's due on July 1st the copy deadline is May the 6th uh, <laughs> <laughs> so it's fine and I'm halfway through writing the copy I'm now at this stage because I'm trying to fill it with lots of practical tips um, and my, I guess my differentiator between the other PR books is a that I actually do PR. Um, not that the others aren't PR experts, but they're more journalist term PRs. So they focus a lot on this is what journalists want. Yeah. My analogy is always referred back to my dad, Fred. He's a builder. He's like, if you're going to paint a room, you don't just slot paint on the room. You prep it first. Like you sand it down, you fill in the holes, you clean the walls, and then you do a really beautiful paint job. And it lasts so much longer and it looks so much better. And that's my approach to PR. Like, don't just contact a journalist. Do your prep work first. And so a lot of what I try and teach that's different is the sort of the strategy and the, and the kind of what you need in your media toolkit before you actually speak to anybody, just to shape your thinking, really. Um, so I'm trying to get lots of journalists as well to say what sort of things they're interested in. So it's firsthand, not what mm. I'm telling them journalists want to hear. But also a few other startups of because I meet so many people and they've got great PR tips that I don't even necessarily think of. So I met these people the other week called the Money Medics and they want to be the Martin Lewis for millennials. And between them, have this amazing property portfolio just from saving. Like they don't earn wow. hundreds of thousands. Um, and they tagged all these national newspapers on this post on how they bought a property from saving money. And oh, brilliant. Got, good idea, and got press it? coverage off the back of it. Brilliant. And it's stuff, I've actually, I've heard it before. I've heard other clients who've, like I've heard of a food startup who got in Selfridges because she was a market and kept tagging Selfridges into her food market every time she was there. And then she got a retail listing at Selfridges. I'm not saying it's like a foolproof way but things like that, you're like, it's so simple. Mm. Why wouldn't you try it if you're a small business starting out with no budget? So it, it totally makes sense. It like does, it, yeah. Being creative in that sense, it really reminds me of when we were interviewing um, the ladies at Hanks and they said that they approached one of their investors through Instagram. Yes. And actually how these kind of creative ways of using social media and actually, you know, 
um, look at your branding as well and your personality. And if, if you've got all of, as you say, if you've done all your prep and the walls are all prepped and you've got everything in your toolkit and then you and then you go for it creatively, you could be amazed at what comes through. It doesn't necessarily have to be in the traditional ways that you might expect. It's like every client I speak to, I'm like, do you have a bio? And they're like, uh, no. Even on a basic level, if you want to be on a podcast, if you want to speak at an event, if you want to be putting yourself forward to write a guest article for somebody, you need a bio. It's just, mm. you just need it. And what you don't want is a journalist going, can you send me your bio in the next hour? And you frantically having to quickly churn something out that's a bit corporate and boring and a, again, like the one size fits no one thing. Because you do need different versions of a biography, but I think you do just need that basic one like nailed. And it's just little things like that that people forget. So it's all very well learning how to speak to a journalist, but if you don't have any of the assets, if they then go and can have your headshot, and people are like, uh, can you quickly take a photo of me? <laughs> like I've actually had yeah. like CEOs of major companies send me a toilet shot where they're stood against oh the God, toilet door because it's the so only brown door. Funny. I've had I've had the same when I, I worked in marketing, and you know it would be amazing what you'd get from people, and you'd think, but you have quite a high turnover for <laughs> business, yeah. and you're like, get what? Like photo. what is this? But yeah, with that in mind, what would be some top tips to make a really great bio, make a good first impression? I think less is more. Even everybody wants to tell you as much information about themselves as possible. But I think leaving room for intrigue is the best thing that you can do. And for me, like I would say I'm Lucy Winner. I've got 15 years PR experience and I now specialise in startups, for example. That's enough to really tell somebody about myself. I think if you want to have um, people attempted to tell the whole life stories or their personal story. And I think it it's useful to have your personal story told, but that's not necessarily for your biography. I think that could be maybe used as something that helps you write a more personal-led blog post. Um, and I also just think including like a quirky fact can be quite a good idea. So um, one of the ladies I work with is Una from The Marshmallowist. And one of her stats is that she's a human thermometer. So she can look at a vat of sugar and tell you exactly how hot it is. <laughs> <laughs> That's so incredible. I just think like, you know, she is a she's a Parisian trained chef. She now makes these like gourmet fluffy marshmallows. A little fact wow. that's related to what she does as an industry yeah. works really well. Mm. I mean, I'm not saying day to day put in rounds of facts, but if it's related to what you do as a job, it just makes you instantly have a personality as opposed to I'm Bob, I've done this for 20 years and here's my experience and I've won this award. Yeah, it's really dry when, when you approach it like that. I think sometimes people are nervous to maybe put themselves out there or they think that like a real corporate piece mm. is what's needed for something like a bio. Mm. Maybe they're not, I don't know. Well, they're know. afraid to show their personality perhaps because as you say in the corporate world, people are kind of you know, suited and booted and almost kind of warned away from standing out or being different or quirky. But yeah, I think that's, I think it's really important to do that, especially if you want to get your personality across and your brand and you want to stand out. And that's what journalists want, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, the title of, the title of my book, to come out next January, so mm -hmm. there's nothing Woo! to sign up or register for. <laughs> you can register for more info on the website, but it's actually called like Hype Yourself. Hype but, Yourself. Yeah. Okay, great. Because you do, it's, it's not just about helping your business, it's about like helping yourself to talk about what you do, because ultimately... We don't buy in to brands as much as we do the people behind them because either that comes through the culture 
or you know you're actually connecting with the ethos of that brand which is uh, fundamentally all leads back to the to the person and we're moving into an age now you know like you look at linkedin now it's crawling with video content and we're all lapping it up because we're connecting with that person Mm. so i think this whole kind of just saying as many business and entrepreneurial things about yourself as possible and keeping it so corporate-led isn't the way forward. And I actually did a really ranty blog post that did well on LinkedIn the other day of like how not to promote yourself because I kept reading... Well, that's interesting. <laughs> because I kept reading business interviews and it would be like, well, I woke up and I did this app and it would like credit an app that they'd once worked on. And it'd be like, and then I get to the office and I pop open a cap of this and it was like a drinks product oh that they'd God. worked on. And it was like, and then I go out for drinks at this bar because I know the person of this magazine. And I just read it and thought, this isn't a day in your life or a week in your working week this is just you wanging on it's so inauthentic and it's not i don't and people see through that don't they people see through the bullshit now especially on platforms like linkedin we were saying the other day think, we've lost I, the love for it a little bit haven't we i think yeah i think we're getting smarter but i still feel that there's this fear i think for a lot of people this sort of corporate created environment or atmosphere that prevents people from being themselves mm. i was flicking through linkedin as well this morning i was laying in bed i don't even know why i mean stupid thing to do first thing in the morning and somebody was ranting about um people using emojis you shouldn't do that and it's you know like it's not the place for that oh lighten up just thought, lighten up what the fuck is wrong with you people like just let people <laughs> what I mean? but just let people live their lives and express themselves and the express way they want themselves. to themselves and it's got fuck all to do with you i'm sorry <laughs> But do you know what I mean? And you just think, why are people so dry? And why do they feel that they have the right to tell other people to be dry and boring? Yeah. But anyway, please finish your story about your rant. Because no, I mean, it's, it's basically can't be the only rant to another. <laughs> this podcast. No, it's the same thing. And it's like there's, um, there's somebody I follow who was sort of saying, you know, you should always be smartly dressed in corporate wear. And I was thinking... If it's if I'm in an environment where it's corporate wear, that's not where I belong. Mm. My mm. uniform is trainers. I will sometimes wear a heel, sometimes, when I feel like it. But it's not because I have to... If somebody doesn't want to work with me because I'm in a pair of Converse trainers, then frankly, we're not a good fit. And that's fine. Yeah. We don't need to be in this sort of I don't know I think LinkedIn has a bit of a PR problem in itself and it's still and it's kind of coming out of that now and it's slightly moving away from that sort of city corporate suited and booted place and it is becoming a lot more entrepreneurial and I've found it an increasingly better platform for advice and for new business contacts and for sharing content yeah I think we've struck well I've definitely struggled with the platform recently um coming from a corporate sort of world into you know what what Frankie and I are sort of running now which is creative uh, expressing and celebrating femininity and it's something that I've, I've really struggled to get back into how are you I mean if you were to give people say three tips for LinkedIn or you know <laughs> fall back into love with it or use it as it's as it's meant to be used what would you what would you recommend use it talk on it like you would yeah. talk to your friend down the pub Okay. So tip number one, don't say things like, I'm so excited or I am thrilled to announce because you do not sit down in the pub and say, I am excited to tell you that I've won this award. You don't. 
you'll be like, oh my God, six months ago I entered this thing, I totally forgot about it. And then it turns out I've been shortlisted. Write it like that, it's Mm. real. That really makes people connect with you. And second of all, talk about your wins all the time. Your big wins, little wins, everyday wins. Because if anybody from your network on LinkedIn comments, then their network also comments. And then I think lastly, questions work really well inviting people on your business journey with you. So I think actually talking about real issues, real problems, real challenges, or even the journey, like I put on the nine first draft book covers that I was sent from the book company. And it's today, it is my most engaged post because I asked a question, but it wasn't a fake question. Was it about the cover? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I thought that was great. So I think if you have a genuine question, you genuinely want not free advice, but just some of like easy thinking like, it's easy for somebody to say one to nine and then it's up to them if they want to give an opinion or not then it worked really well so, I mean, tell, so, us, so tell us the five no-nos <laughs> of how not to PR yourself <laughs> so if anyone listening is at home and they're don't about to try do don't these do things. these things um, you heard it here first <laughs> um, I'll try and do all five of them I think basically one of them was like don't just use it as an excuse to list all of your clients because it's boring I think number two, don't use it as an excuse to talk about how great your clients are, how great your team is, because for me, that should be how it is. Like, you shouldn't need to be like, we have a great client, or we only employ great people. No, that's that's a given now. We're in 2019. It's not the Industrial Revolution anymore. We can choose. (laughs) So talking about that, it's not unique or interesting, because Mm. we should all do that. Um, again we sort of talked about it but I'd say giving something personal away so if you're if you're being interviewed on what your working week looks like or what your working day looks like I don't want to know that you've done a headspace up for 10 minutes because a I don't believe you mm-hmm. and b <laughs> like I want to know like what you're really doing yeah like are you yeah. really like having a fight with your wife over what who's making the breakfast or doing the nursery run that day that's more interesting and more real and relatable and relatable yeah. than you know whatever it is and quite often as well and I I do tend to see this more from the men than the female side but there'll be this like token thing at the end of like oh and you know and on a Friday I'm an excellent husband and father to my daughter and you sort of think no like that's all the week like that's not just on a Friday like you don't need to throw your personal in right at the end you know talk about your friends your peers your partner it doesn't have to be the last thing that's mentioned it can be the most important part of your week now people Mm. will accept that just be authentic and show a bit of yourself which we've all heard a million times before but and it's funny actually because a couple of times I've posted on Instagram or on LinkedIn that's been a bit more personal and a bit more and I love those posts they're so lovely (laughs) but it's it feels very um naked yeah um but I get so many private messages Mm. afterwards from or people contacting me saying I really feel the same, like, can we meet up? Or just thanks for that, it really meant a lot. And so I think it's a fine balance. Weirdly, sometimes some of my friends can be a bit like, are you all right? Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, no, I'm Should not. we be worried? Yeah, I'm like, I'm not saying it. And I can see why, because they're sort of like, she suddenly, we spoke about this two months ago, now she's put it up on her Instagram. But I'm like, I don't talk about, I, I quite often don't talk about the shit things at the time that they're shit because it is mm. too raw. I tend to talk about on reflection, on reflection yeah. because it's it, then it's not an emotive 
subject anymore or as a motive anymore and you can articulate it as well so you can kind of make sense of it in a way but I do think I mean this is one of the things that um and one of the many things that I've learned about myself since running a business and coming to terms with is I'm just an emotional person and actually that doesn't mean I'm shit or I'm mm. a emotional woman or it just means that I really care about your business so if I'm in a situation where I'm crying about your business, that's because I actually care. And that should be a good thing, not a bad thing. Although I should caveat that, that I haven't actually cried about anybody's business for a very long time. <laughs> but when I started out and maybe had a few more meaner, or what, just more, um, <clears throat> not like not client matches, shall we say, mm. um, I would, I found it a lot harder to work with them. Whereas now the people I work with, it's a lot, closer relationship and I probably end up becoming friends I don't think you can I don't feel like I can work with friends but the people I work with become like friends at the end of it mm. because really good PR should be a big a big part of not be a big part of your business I think good PR is an extension of your business and it can't be somebody that doesn't understand you or your audience mm. or what you're doing and when you work that closely, like great PR is meant to be hitting your business objectives and helping you to succeed. So when you are helping a business owner to do that, you naturally, especially if it's a, like a, a few of my business, um, a few of my clients, it's just like one female founder. So when it's just me and them sometimes working closely together and I suddenly see them hit their targets because of a piece of press coverage I've done for them, that's, I'm like, it feels amazing and you're like, I, I did that. Like, mm. I helped her get where she needed to go. And that's a really bonding experience. Yeah. Because you're like, she's got her money's worth out of me and I've done a good job. And that's always what I want every client or anybody that I work with to feel like afterwards. So if anybody doesn't feel like I'm giving them the value for money, naturally, that makes me feel ups- <laughs> upset. Because mm. I want to be, want to be doing the best I can for everybody. And I think this whole thing of caring too much... I don't think that that's a negative. No, I don't either. Probably one of my favourite clients that I've worked with is Davinia from Raincheck that you mm. ladies have met. But she has launched a service that empowers women to invest. And I nearly didn't take that meeting because I don't understand money and how to invest. And I thought this is going to be far too dull. And I met her and I was so inspired by her story I was like, I have to get her story out there. And it's not about her product. It's her mm. telling you why as a woman you need to invest that's powerful. So we kind of went on a very strategic program for her to do guest um, guest posts. So she's written something for Galdem on how mm. financial services aren't being inclusive. Mm. We've written a piece for Huffington Post. Again, um, a lot of the imagery around the financial services are quite... Um, horrific um there's just there's no not diverse not diverse and and um just on a gender level but also there's like no racial equality in the images and dav is a black female founder we a lot of our images feature black women and i would be sending them out to press and then white women's hands would be appearing in the articles and you just think okay there's um there's a lot here still to be done so kind of helping her to give her a platform to speak about those sort of things was like a really great PR campaign to work on. My main 
passion is to try and help as many people as possible who are nice and doing <laughs> nice things mm. get PR. And sometimes that means they don't always have a huge budget. So I want to find ways to help them, which is why there was the book and the courses have been in my mind for like four years. But it's so nice now to be able to basically be able to put them into into practice. See, that leads us very nicely onto the workshops that we're going to be running with you. Yes. So can you share us um, share a little bit about about the format of them and, and what people can expect to take away from the day? Yeah, kind of PR power hour where I get some of the country's best PRs for startups and small businesses and independent brands together. And for us to kind of do a bit of a panel discussion about what we think you need to be doing and then kind of follow it up with a speed dating element to try and match make as many business owners with as many PRs at one time, just so they can pick the brains of people's different experiences. Some people are more aligned to like fashion and beauty. I've done a lot of food and a bit of tech. So there's sort of different skill sets that everybody's got um, and just try and match with as many people to sort of share the knowledge. Amazing. What what kind of profiles are you expecting to sort of benefit from the day? Whole mixture. It could yeah. be somebody that has has just hasn't even ex, like got their domain name registered mm-hmm. yet and has just a concept and wants to maybe just sort of talk through the the very beginning steps. Yeah. It could be somebody that's got an established product or a sort of a side hustle but already has a full time job that just wants some kind of advice of what they could be doing on the side just to get themselves out there. People who want to know maybe how to get on a podcast or write a guest post. Just um, kind of any sort of questions you've got that relate to putting yourself out there. Also, mm. social media. A lot of the girls um, in, the, in the squad are very good on socials and what you should be doing on your social channels. Perfect. So May 17th here in London. And to find out about it, you can um, sign up to our newsletter at foundflourish.co.uk. And also, Lucy, how can everyone follow you and get involved in your business, stay ahead of your online courses and, Free of course, book. your book? Yeah, <laughs> book. Where, where do you want people to go? Where can you go and support you? At Wernchat and www.thewern.com, which is W-E-R-N w-e-r-n.com brilliant and so the book is out january yes probably probably all things going well with the production it should be available october november for pre-order but yeah definitely available from january later on in 2019 i'll be releasing more information about the courses and coaching well, thank you so much. You've shared so many great insights with yeah, us today. I've, both I've from a, learned a lot from today. <laughs> yeah, from a business <laughs> perspective, a motherhood perspective, and, you know, certainly from a PR And I didn't cry, so I'm not that emotional. No, <laughs> you don't wear your Thanks for listening, guys. And don't forget, you can join in the conversation online by using the hashtag BossingItPod and tagging us at FoundFlourish. Don't forget to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. And if you enjoy it, tell your friends about it. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.